One of the questions which was um, among the many which was placed in the bowl, we'd like to speak about this evening and I'll read out the question and then the, as it were, the bones of the talk this evening will uh, fall into two parts, I'll explain in a moment. The question is, what are your own thoughts on the Guru concept and what advice, if any, do you have for us in relationship to it? And I would like to take that uh, question and then uh, expand out a little bit further and, if I may, um, just speak a little bit about that uh, in terms of the personal uh, perceptions as the person has written the note has asked. Uh, since I'm um, involved in the spiritual business, so to speak. <coughs> uh, and I'll just begin by exploring initially the traditional form of the relationship. And it's quite uh, vital right from the very beginning, and particularly with a talk of this kind of area where we're dis discussing relationship, role, authority, dependency, liberation, that it's particularly important that what is uh, said is right from the beginning perceived experientially to be a particular way of looking. Otherwise the whole talk is purposeless. If the talk is perceived to be coming from some um, authority. So I'm speaking in this talk, in every other talk, <coughs> and in every other communication, and everything I've ever said in my whole goddamn life, that this is the way I see things. And it's never to be seen as something different from that. Similarly, everything you say in your life is the way you see. And sometimes we meet, and sometimes we don't. That means obvious. What are your own thoughts on the Guru concept, and what advice, if any, do you have for us in relationship to it? In a very general way, with regard to the background, that is, the long-standing historical background, it has shown itself in the East and in some of the um, uh, Western uh, uh, traditions in a form of relationship in which we might say, speaking generally, that the gap, or a gap, is acknowledged. And the way that the gap is acknowledged is, putting it very simply, there is one person who is said to uh, know, to realize, to see, to um, 
understand, to speak from a, a different place, so to speak. And there are others who don't perceive, don't see, don't realize, don't know, can't um, come from that particular place or space or whatever. And that gap is agreed and is established. And one might say the work of the teacher or of the guru is to enable the disciple, the sadak, the student, to realize what the teacher or the guru has realized. And therefore, there comes in that gap a communication or a, a transmission from one to another. And one of the aspects of that form of relationship, which is traditional, and we find many expressions of it in, our, in the contemporary spiritual uh, climate, is that the between or within the, the gap which takes place between the two people, between the person and the group, <coughs> that the size of the gap may vary considerably according to the kind of teaching being prescribed. So in some forms of relationship, the gap is smaller, it's spoken of as teacher, uh, student, and there's a certain degree of um, um, uh, equality, shall we say, and there's not a great emphasis placed on the gap. And there are others where the gap is made and seen to be skillfully or and otherwise to be very great. So sometimes, shall we say in the uh, uh, Buddhist uh, tradition, to take one of uh, many traditions, and very much in, the, in some of the Hindu traditions, the guru is regarded or is as being one with the truth, or one with God, or one with um, liberation, or Buddha nature, or whatever. And sometimes the guru figure, the authority figure, will say, um, he generally, it seems to be he, unfortunately, but anyway, he will say, he is speaking from that. He has realized that. He knows that this has happened to him and therefore it can happen for you if you connect with me. And that shows, that can be said, of course, both egotistically, it can be said with humility and the whole spectrum in between. Sometimes the gap is when it is um, enlarged, shall we say, to such a dimension, the teacher, the guru figure, may not be making claims about himself or herself, but as part of the teaching 
process, the methodology of teaching, the teacher is to be seen to be one with the Dharma, or that means the teaching, or one with um, Buddha, and that contributes and may induce within the devotee, within the sadhak, the student, um, a devotional frame of mind. Because one is, has agreed to elevate this particular person to the status of transcendence. In some forms of relationship, and this is in the Christian um, tradition and have spoken many um, monks and nuns and have a long history myself in Catholicism, the gap isn't perceived so much in that way, but one has what is frequently referred to as the spiritual master, as we have here in the Eastern traditions. And the spiritual master's job is for her, if it's a, a, a senior nun or a monk or priest, is, is somewhat to set the kind of disciplines through the perception and through the guidelines of what the student does for his or her spiritual welfare and well-being. And that includes within that dynamic um, counselling and sharing, confession, heart opening in other different ways. And the process in both Western and Eastern traditions does ensure the, the continuity of the gap and also, the, as I say, the Guru may be perceived to be one with the Absolute or one with the Ultimate or one with God or the teacher figure says, no, it's not me, but I am just a vehicle, I am just a means towards something greater than I. And I would say, generally speaking, this is the traditional and contemporary form of relationship. And I'm not saying that to put caste judgment better or, or worse, but within that, a certain kind of role is established between two human beings or a group of human beings and another human being. And this role can be very nurturing inwardly. The role which sometimes, because of the gap, can have a certain similarity between parent and child. And sometimes we notice in ourselves that with some types of people, who may be charismatic, strong, spiritual um, um, presence, or certain manner or whatever, can bring out of us almost a childlike response. Almost the young in us looking 
up to, with a certain adoration and admiration and possible projection onto this other human being. And, and it's important in this that, that, that we, if we are in that mode of relationship, we experience that mode of relationship, what shows itself for us inside? Where's our attention? In this mode of relationship between one human being and between another, there's a duality which takes place. And one of the things which I've already mentioned in the course of the retreat here, that in this separation that, it, that exists, the tendency of the mind, very important here, the tendency of the mind is not only, say, to look up to, <coughs> but to look to as being the instrument, the means, the cause for changing oneself, the cause for you or I becoming different from what we are. And naturally, spiritually, in other activities, we want to see and facilitate and bring about change, and very easily, one of the things which we do again and again is we transfer, as it were, we might say, the center of power, in the, in the beautiful sense of what power means, from ourselves to another. If I may say, let's talk, talk a little bit personally here. I um, have um, had the uh, privilege of spending some ten years um, in, uh, in uh, this part of the world, in Asia. And uh, six of those years I was a monk in the uh, Buddhist tradition. And spent time with... Uh, teachers, two particular teachers, Ajahn Damodoro, who used to be, not now, in uh, Nakhon Si Tamarat, that's, the, that's a town in the um, southern part of Thailand, some 15 hours south of Bangkok. And rather amusing, well, sad really, the Nakhon Sri Tamarat, if you, the actual meaning of the word is Nakhon means city, Sri Dhamma, Dhamma, Nakon Sri Dharma Rat. Rat means is Raj. So it actually the name of the city is the city of the kings of Dharma. Now this particular town of Nakon Sri Tamarat, in the province of Nakon Sri Tamarat, has the unenviable record of being one of the most uh, violent ridden cities in the Far East. So much violence in that city. And in the time that I was uh, a monk there and spent three years in the, uh, the monastery there, what 
Chaina, as it's called, which means the monastery at the end of the rice paddy. That's the literal meaning. Um, and it was, of course, um, that weekly, weekly, corpses would be brought into the monastery for cremation, and sadly, 50% of them or more probably were people who had been murdered, killed. Life and death seemed at times so cheap there, and at the time I was there in the early uh, part of the 70s, there was a great deal of uh, terrorism and, and just tragic. And, and with other teachers of Ajahn Buddhadasa, who some of you know at what uh, Suanmok, who's been a pioneer of uh, fresh thinking and, and vision and um, realization and the integration of uh, Dharma into the daily life situation. And I came from Thailand to India, and in this part of three-year period, I think it was, which I spent in India, I uh, traveled all over India, having had the opportunity to stay in a wide number of um, ashrams and uh, Christian centers and uh, Mahayana centers and Vedanta and with karma yogis and a whole variety. And I think one of the things which is useful and valuable about a reasonably broad spiritual life and uh, experience is that it safeguards, it can, with the um, attitude and I think and experience and understanding, from falling into one of the major dangers of spiritual, spiritual life, which is basically small-mindedness. And the spiritual life, for all of its talk of liberation and freedom and <coughs> love and interconnectedness, it seems so frequently to be long on talk and short on awareness and understanding. And very easily, what one notices here, and I think um, one, aspe one aspect of, of this is that one doesn't have to go to all these places to have a reasonably open heart and open mind, but the sense I do feel that in one's working on oneself, in one's connection with teachers and teachings and whatever, that one has to guard and watch the mind, I mean watch it like a hawk watches a sparrow running through the corn, to watch that kind of pattern or tendency to take up something and say, this is it. And there's countless numbers of people imprisoned through the particular view of heart and mind and thought and belief and experience that this whatever is it. And one of the ways that that pattern begins to show itself, this restricted kind of uh, view, is not only through attachment and clinging and identifying with and 
being preoccupied about and obsessed with and caught up in. But one of the ways that it does show itself is in language. And in the West, at the present time, as some of you will be aware, there's quite some degree of inquiry going on amongst concerned people, thoughtful people, people interested in life, both in psychotherapy, in philosophy, in spiritual practices, in the meditation traditions, and other fields, sciences of course, in which the way that we employ language in a very direct way seems to be shaping and influencing our life to a remarkable degree. And that we need to explore ways to give real care to the way we employ the language. Because the language, in the way we relate to it, seems to frequently determine what we are, where we are, with who we are. In other words, if you spiritually, <coughs> as we're, that's what we're touching on this evening, say to yourself, in, in the countless ways that you may say to yourself, and I may say to myself, I'm involved in, I feel connected with, which is fine, obviously, to, to say, it's in a, a language of appropriate expression, but what occurs through the sheer frequency of repetition. I am practicing this. I am with this person. I am doing this, or whatever. When we keep repeating it through thought, through speech, through letter, and through whatever mode, the mind begins, so to speak, to wrap itself around that thought. It begins to make something of that. And as it begins to make something of that thought, that thought could be Vipassana, it could be Buddhism, it could be liberation, it could be um, <coughs> technique, it could be choiceless awareness, it, Whatever, all the varieties, immense number of languages that we use, that when it begins to wrap itself round the thought through sometimes sheer frequency of expression, we then begin to find ourselves living in a divide. A divide which says this versus or against or compared to that. And this divide is the curse of the spiritual life. And it may not actually be intentional. Sometimes it is, it's just sheer blatant clinging. <laughs> one has just become a religious maniac <laughs> and one thinks one's got it or one knows someone who's got it or, be <laughs> or whatever. And that movement gradually or quickly, often according to the emotional need, 
takes a hold of and it creates and establishes its own discrimination. If one has a hold, one can't but help compare that holding on with something else. Holding brings its own discrimination, its own judgments, its own approval and its disapproval and right and wrong, good and bad. Because the holding mechanism has got itself present. And it's like a fungus, you know, it's, it's, it's not as it were deliberately intentional, it's a gradual divisiveness which sets in almost as it were, moment by moment by moment, when we engage in anything which is repetitive. And we're talking about the spiritual life here. Anything. Now, some teachers, some authority figures, some gurus, and one has to listen to oneself, I have to check in with myself. <coughs> it could be interpreted that that person, that authority, actually has a vested interest in repeating and maintaining and supporting. Because, as in many fields of life, where one has authority, and authority, remember, is something which is given, where one has authority in a situation in life, one does get a lot of approval. Authority it gets rejection, admittedly, but generally speaking, it's not too difficult, especially, if I may say, in spiritual mm -hmm. life, to surround oneself with people whose heads more often go up and down than from side to side. <laughs> and when this is happening with quite some frequently, because the authority has interesting and useful and presumably good things to say, it's very easy to live in a cocoon, to live protected by a, a support system of yes people, who wouldn't dare, who wouldn't dream of saying, hey look, I don't agree with this, hey look, I'm not so sure, hey look, my experience is different from your experience. And it's very difficult for us to actually say to someone who is so able to impress, and impress very deeply, not just superficially, so, so difficult to, in that to say, yes, you make a very strong impression, however, I've still got to listen to myself because I've got to live my life. And one finds in, in that, and I know from, uh, from over, over the years and 
many, many countless conversations I've had on this theme, if I may say, in that room over there. I think they have more of them in India than um, elsewhere about this. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Guru concept? <coughs> and I think I'm mellowing over the years. I've just noticed <laughs> that as I'm talking. <coughs> so within any relationship where there is the uh, uh, authority position, it certainly can be useful and constructive and uh, vitalizing, but one has to watch what kind of pattern is there. And one of the important safeguards, and when sometimes I notice with people, with uh, friends and, uh, and groups and so forth, that there is a reluctance to use thought. And we, you know, thought gets a very bad press in the spiritual life. And I feel that sometimes there is such an exaggeration on the importance of experience, or the importance of emotion, or feeling, or going deep, so to speak, that there is correspondingly with this a rejection of thinking clearly, of thinking something through. And this particularly applies for people who get pleasure out of submissiveness. Who feel good in themselves, temporarily, about, in fact, being dependent on somebody who's going to tell them what to do with their life. And it seems to me, with regard to our relationship, with our relationship with the other person, that the sign of a healthy spirituality is one which actually embraces the whole of the person. And, as I was saying last night, no person exists alone. Never has, never could. So therefore, the whole of the, shall we call it, the human organism. So what I mean by that is, some of you may be connected with, or associated with, a particular kind of work or practice. People may say, hey Christopher, you're connected with the, the, the um, work of, and it's, putting it simply, sit and watch, walk and watch, whatever's happening is happening, it's not saying anything about anybody. That's, the, that's you might say, that's what <coughs> the communications here are about. And in any kind of um, relationship or uh, activity in terms of uh, spiritual work, a healthy organism, a healthy spiritual social organism brings in thinking, concerned thinking, should we say critical thinking, to examine the process that it's in. And I feel, personally, concern, either in any situation which I am involved in, or particularly when I am communicating and uh, listening to others and other sp 
spiritual practices and uh, traditions and processes of realization, when all I can hear is excitement, enthusiasm, admiration, and, um, and a feeling life which doesn't seem to be integrated and in balance with looking at things very carefully to see what the condition of the organism is. And sometimes in spiritual life, when we're very much involved with something, we're very much committed to whatever it may, may be, we are in fact quite reluctant to feel critical because we identify being critical as being negative. And we don't want to be negative. What will Guruji say? <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to be, feel critical or negative because what will the other members of the Sangha say? The other members of who are participating say, or the satsang say, the, the concepts used here in India. So I feel health in life, spiritual health in life, is willing to stop and question and, if necessary, voice what one is experiencing. And sometimes it really is disturbing. And I know of over the years of quite a few people who have expressed some concern, <coughs> express what they are concerned about, what they're hearing, or what they've been told to do, or um, what they've been expected to believe, or, or be like in some particular way. They've got some model of how they should be, and it's, and it's not how they are, or whatever. And they've expressed concern, <coughs> or protest, or even anger, and feeling quite negative about it, only to find that he or she has then been ex quite excluded that it's not acceptable within that organism to hear the voice of protest, the voice of criticism. And I would say if a, if a spiritual organism or a, a social grouping can't internally examine its, pro its own processes, it's in a very unhealthy condition. Un very unhealthy and the outcome of it is it's just old-fashioned Narrowness, wrapping around a handful of concepts and experiences, and all that sectarianism that goes with it. We must be free to be questioned, to be criticized, to be examined, as we must be free to enjoy and learn from as well. that kind of uh, rela relationship of teacher and uh, student. If I may um, speak a um, little bit about um, myself in the viewing this, that um, I have noticed, um, if I may say, over the years, and this isn't even, there's not a <laughs> understand. It's not a plus or a, or a, a minus, <coughs> this, it's just 
whatever. But over the years, um, I haven't have, had any kind of um, appetite which um, seems to, consciously or not, I hope anyway, sustain a kind of division. Let, let, me, let, me, let me just give a little example. One or two people here will remember this. Years ago, I was a, a monk. I was actually in this room, this is about 76, I think it was. And we had, I'd given a small number of retreats and, um, in um, Dalhousie and uh, McLeod Gunge, um, Manali here. <coughs> and being in the, actually it's interesting, being in the Shaven Head Club at that time <laughs> and <coughs> wearing the brown curtains, um, <laughs> the tradition was, as, as it is, was expected, was that I was placed um, on a higher position. Now I used to, could rationalise it, say, well, actually it's better that I'm higher because then I can see people at the back, my voice will carry, etc. Always had very good reasons. <laughs> and then, um, out, out of that, the very structure, the very form seemed to contribute psychologically or emotionally to some kind of, I consider, unsatisfactory kind of human relationship. Some kind of gap got set in, is it not because of, but in conjunction with the sitting form. And, it, it, I've, well, this is basically, it, I felt it reached rock bottom when flowers and candles and incense sticks started appearing in front of this little table. <laughs> <laughs> to me, we were all in the pits. And that was enough. And in that kind of situation, what may be for other teachers and uh, may get um, um, pleasure and satisfaction and appreciation and, 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 and gratitude and, and is quite touched with. For me, personally, I found it utterly unsatisfactory. I, it seems to me what's vital is we pay respect to each other as partners in life and we pay respect to ourselves as well. And I've noticed that over the years, in terms of um, dharma um, communication and engaging in this work, that not only I, I experienced um, <coughs> no interest in that form with that strength, that gap or potential for gap, but similarly the whole concept of teacher-student. And someone wrote to me quite recently, um, a friend, and he asked, in fact, if he could come and uh, see me to talk about it. He said, as much as I remember, something like, Christopher, look, I, for years, have um, considered you my teacher, but I've never felt that you've considered me as your student. I'm quite troubled by this, <laughs> and can we talk about it? 
So we went to the um, chai shop in Totnes. <laughs> can recommend it, by the way. And <laughs> free advertising. And in discussing, and this has happened a, a number of times over the year, years, it doesn't seem to me that that relationship, though it's traditional and though it's contemporary, etc., is necessary for, in this case, myself and another, to formulate that kind of relationship. I don't think one needs to actually, for spiritual life, to actually have that kind of role identification. I, I, my sense is, my feeling is, that we can, uh, that we can approach the whole being together without that kind of role. Of course I've got countless privileges, you know, you lot have to keep silent and I can ramble on <laughs> morning, noon and night and I'm very generous about it. And you can leave me, you know, got this here, bowl full of notes and you say whatever you want and I'll read it out. And, but I feel that the communication and, and it's an exploration with the role factor not really of any importance whatsoever. And in that, my feeling is both for myself and, uh, and us being together is that I feel it leaves, I like to think anyway, it leaves the maximum amount of trust in yourselves. There may be, and there is, I like to think, a flow and exchange which takes place between us. And there may hopefully be some learning which takes place between us. But vitally and essentially, you are you, I am I, and we're here together, and we're just seeing how it's unfolding. And, my, and if I may say, one of my main inspirations for this is the women's movement. I think the women's movement has been one of the most beautiful and profound movements in the Western uh, society because that kind of exploration is taking place amongst women. And I think we as men, with all the traditional roles, hierarchy, privileges, etc., etc., I think we as men need to explore our form of relating and not just keep sticking to the old model that we've got and we've been given, and we've been so glad to have. <laughs> now sometimes in the situation here, in the small group meetings and, uh, and in the one-to-one, -one, um, I have, I think I can say from feedback, um, sometimes could qualify, <laughs> qualify it a bit. I have the reputation of giving people a hard time. And so sometimes someone says something to me like, um, um, I'm, f I'm feeling good today. Right. So now to be absolutely honest, this doesn't mean anything to me. I, I, you know, what does that mean? So then I ask the person, see, what, you, what are you feeling good about? <laughs> How can you possibly be feeling good about anything going on here? You know, 
You know, as somebody said, oh, I just had a terrible sitting. You know, what does that mean? So sometimes I ask, and then I ask again, <laughs> and I ask again. And I don't spend, in the small meetings or in the one-to-one, -one, too much time answering questions. And obviously I have a little experience in meditation, a little experience in working with people, and I probably could give quite nice, comfortable answers. But I choose deliberately not to. And I choose to make you feel quite uncomfortable. <laughs> because my faith in you is that you know already. And all it takes is just a little reflection, a little mirroring back, a little bit of questioning, a little bit of probing, a little bit of leaning upon, sending out the odd missile, and somewhere or other, <laughs> you'll find it. And that's about the best that I can do. And, and so in that, in the form on the means that I uh, work, in the communi communication, sometimes I, whatever I do it, some might say well and skillfully, and sometimes I'm, I don't do it very well, and I don't do it very skillfully, and I don't handle people very well, and they walk out, quite understandably, thoroughly pissed off with me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's living. there's just a guy sitting up the front here doing his thing and you're in there and you're doing your thing and we're doing it together and sometimes it connects and sometimes it, it's like two ships passing in the night. You know, we didn't meet anywhere. And my, my sense and, and feeling with, with, with that that if we can explore that kind of uh, dynamic, and then we can really can, there's a kind of trust which we have within the situation. You know, sometimes the trust that it works, and sometimes the, the trust is, well, it, sometimes it, it doesn't work very well. And I, I feel it in that over the time and uh, over the years of working in this, uh, in this, that keeping, as it were, if I put an emphasis on it, the Dharma of the here and now, not giving too many outlets in terms of future and past, but keeping it as clear as possible with experience and with language, as clear to the here and now, my trust and, and faith is that we discover freedoms within ourselves. Freedom to experience what we're experienced, freedom to, to say what we need to say, freedom to be who we need to be, who we are. And, 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 and it's there already. I don't think of meditation, as it were, as this going somewhere else. I, d I just don't think like that anymore. I don't think I ever have done. That right now, let's be free to see. Just be free.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.